reaching up, reaching over, and reaching out. We are New Life Christian Fellowship. For service times, articles, or recordings of our weekly messages, please visit us online at www.nlcfchurch.org. As um, this morning, we're going to be continuing on on our series, Distinctive Discipleship. Um, and again, how distinct, distinctive discipleship, what that means, and just kind of recapping a little bit of, uh, you know, this is uh, designed to meet an individual person where, like, where an individual person is at. Uh, this whole series is directed in such a way that wherever you are at, and some are further along the road than maybe some others, but wherever you are at, you will find something that will apply to you and how, you know, um, and where you can learn from and also grow uh, in, uh, in what's being taught here. So no matter where you are at uh, in your walk with Christ, there's something in this for you. There's a nugget here for you. Uh, you know, just a little quick recap about what's been going on here. And I'm not going to go through all the messages, but just a few of them. Uh, last week, uh, Joe talked about dealing with sin. And this is such an important part of, of, um, of our life as a Christian that we, we recognize sin, that we deal with sin. First of all, that to acknowledge sin and then confess the sin. And then we bring that before our Father in heaven so that he can forgive that sin. This is the utmost part, this is such an important part of our Christian walk that we continually go through the, go to the throne of grace where we find this, this grace and mercy that only Christ has. And then uh, the week before that, John Dyke, he spoke on the topic of delight. And these two, the reason why I picked these two is that there are, there's special value in these to me. When, number one, if you're finding it hard to come to church, if you're finding it hard to, uh, to sing the worship songs that we sing, to read, your, to read the word, and, uh, and just struggle with the Christian faith, ask yourself, where do I find my delight? Where do I find my joy? What is crowding your heart or crowding out Christ in your life? And that's why I wanted to bring those two up in particular, that in our heart, our heart is designed to worship. And we have a whole, we have a heart and the whole, and there's a hole in that heart that is filled specifically where, where it's, a, it's a specific place that Jesus needs to take up residence, not anything else. So those are sometimes hard things to deal with. Uh, there's, you know, uh, being able to let go of some of the things that bring us joy, uh, earthly joy. But all of that is just temporary. When we look at what Christ has done for us on the cross and where we will one day be, true joy comes from knowing Jesus Christ and that our sins have been forgiven and that with him or through him, our, you know, the sins have been forgiven, but one day we will be with him forever. The term forever is a, a word that I don't quite understand and grasp, grasp, but we will be within, within, with him in heaven forever. And that to me is worth uh, anything that we go through here that uh, just to be with him forever is already... Uh, a, a, a mind-boggling thing that we just can't seem to understand. But it, that's the promise we have, forever in heaven with him. You know, as I, this morning, I um, opened up with scripture and prayer here, and there's a verse here, verse 15, that I really want to focus on. It goes so much with today's topic, and today's topic is we're focusing on the, the, the area of doctrine. And what that means is basically is reading God's word. Where do you stand 
in reading God's word? And how much of God's doctrine, God's word, do you understand? And that's the focus part of, uh, of our message today. In verse 15, that when I started the, series, or the, the scripture and prayer off, it says this here. I'm going to read this again. Work hard. Work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly explains the word of truth. That verse alone. And in my commentary, it describes this uh, about this particular verse. A good worker who correctly explains the word of truth would be, most effect, would be the most effective silencer of false teachers. The Christians would need uh, unity, strength, and truth of the gospel to survive the persecutions ahead, to impart the truth to future generations. This incredible responsibility means uh, individual teachers, ministers, leaders, followers of Christ must not seek the approval of people, but the approval of God. An unashamed worker can present his or her life and ministry to God knowing that God will approve the quality of work. So I'm just going to go back a bit and recap a bit there. Work hard. This does not mean that we're sitting in pews. It does not mean that we're, we're not actively living out the faith. We are to actively live out the faith. And this is why it is so important that we understand doctrine and scripture and where we stand with some of the core beliefs. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later on, exactly uh, some of those examples. <clears throat> but we are to speak truth. And number one, if, or, or in order for us to be able to speak truth and, and represent Christ, we must know the scriptures. We must know what the word is teaching on how God sees things, how God deals with, thing, deals with things, and how to respond to things. These are all things that are important. So how we deal uh, and how, we, how well we know scripture will affect us on how we outwardly live for Christ. This is very important. <clears throat> and again, one of the things that, that uh, you know, when we look at in today's society uh, about, you know, how it is so easy, we have to be so politically correct in how we say things, but here we are to be unashamed and not worry about in fa being in favor of people, but we are to be concentrating on being in favor with God. What does God's word say? And we do not deviate from the truth, no matter how popular or how unpopular it may be. If we want to be a good worker of God and present God, we must acknowledge and share the truth. There is no skirting around that. I mean, there are uh, nice ways of presenting the truth. I'm not talking about, you know, fist down, hammering type of stuff, hammering the truth into someone's life. You can do that with love, but never compromise. And always remember, we are not trying to please or favor people and be in, in the favor of people. But God is our ultimate person that we are trying to please in, uh, in living out the scriptures, in how we live out the scriptures. Um, our focus verse or verses for this whole distinctive discipleship series is found in Colossians 1, verses 27 through 29. I'm going to read that as well. There's a key verse I want to focus on that as well today. Uh, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now pay attention to this verse right there. Here is the one we, he is the one that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may, be, so that we may present 
everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy and Christ so powerfully works within me. The, the, back now to just uh, talking a little bit about the verse 15 where it talks about God's approval and presenting truth. Verse 28 here in Colossians, it talks about that we are to present everyone fully mature in Christ. What that means is that we have the entire Bible, the entire content of the Bible is something that we are to, we are to be growing in. We are not just to select certain passages, certain scriptures, certain books, and never focusing on the rest. In order to be fully mature, you have to fully digest the entire word. And I know that that can be sometimes a lot to take in, but we do this one book at a time, or maybe even just one verse at a time. But it's important that we are well-rounded and that we study the entire book and that we aim always to learn more than what we knew last year or the day before. It, is our, it should be our desire to continually grow in the word, knowing more of God. And when we know more of God, it will shape who you are and who you once were and who you will become. You won't even know it, but you will change. You will start to change. John Dyke and I, we've been exchanging some, um, just some encouraging verses. And, and John sent me one that just, it hit so hard. It hit the nail on the head so hard, and it brought this, this message to light or to life to me. I have to share this with you, and it says this. It's a quote by A.W. Tozer. It's, on, it's from his book, The Pursuit of God, and it says this. I'm going to read this a couple times here, but listen to what this says. And it will, if, I don't know about you, but what it did for me, it convicted me of what am I doing with what God has entrusted me. What are you doing with what God has given you to do, the task he has given you. It says this, the world is perishing for the lack of knowledge of God and the church is starving for want of his presence. The instant cure of most of our religious ills would be, would be to enter the presence in spiritual experience, to become suddenly aware that God, that we are in God and that God is in us. Think about that just for a minute of what that means. The world is perishing for the lack of knowledge. Who are the representatives of Christ here on earth? We, the church. We, the church, we are the people carrying this knowledge, this word that God is talking about. And it says here, the people are lacking the knowledge of God. What that means to me is we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. And then to realize, and, to be, and it says here, to become suddenly aware that God is with us. We are not alone. God is with us, and we are in God, in Christ. John 7, verses 37 and 38 says this. Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within, within them. When we think, when we read, and when we spend time with God, our presence becomes that of what is described here. That when we speak, we are speaking life to people where it says rivers of living water will flow from within them. Have you, do you ever picture yourself that way? When we are 
are, are able to witness to someone, are able to share Christ with them, do you realize that what you are speaking are living words, are words that, were, that are words of transformation? They can't transform that person. This is the word that we're talking about here. And this is why it is so important that we spend time in God's word and that we will always be ready to give an account, as Peter says, of who, and, of who we are, what we represent, and who our allegiance lies. And to me, that is such a powerful statement this morning. That alone could be, I could end the sermon right here, and we could walk away challenged. So how do we know God? How do we get to know God more? Read the Word. Let me ask you a question. And I want you guys to be honest. How many of you have ever read someone's diary? I see some smiles, but I don't see any hands going up. But I would imagine uh, that probably some of us in here have read someone's diary, have we not? Why, why, why did we do that? Is it we wanted to just see what, what they were saying about whoever? Maybe there's something in there about us. Maybe you read uh, the girl or the boy that you liked back when you were younger. You read their diary hoping there's something about you in there. Maybe that's what happened there. What if we changed the name of the Bible to God's diary? Would that change our curiosity? Would that change how we look at the book? Would we be more intrigued to read it? Because God's word, it tells us about us and what he thinks of us. It also tells us about who God is and what God's purpose and plan is for us. So think of it, the next time you look at the Bible, you think about it as God's diary. God's diary. And let me know if that sparks your interest anymore. But in order for us to be able to come people that represent or that have this living water flowing from us, we need to know who God is. The heart of God. When you read some of the scriptures that we, like, it doesn't matter, from the time of uh, the Old Testament to the New Testament, there is so many areas in life or in that book where you read about God's heart. When the people have sinned and fallen astray or fallen away from God again, how God's heart hurts. There's also the parts that you read where God is angry and God is, you know, at, at some point he uh, is reprimanding the, 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 the Jews again for, for straying. But ultimately, God's heart, if you had to describe his heart, it describes one way. It, it would be a, a God described of love. Because that is, when we look at what happens through the Old Testament and the New Testament, everything is prescribed, it's done out of love. The love he has for us. So read God's book, read his diary of what he thinks of us, thinks of you, his plans and his purpose, the heart of God. You get to know and see who he really is. And, you know, this is an ongoing process. This is not just something that we do now. This is going to be something that we do until the day God takes us home, that we will always learn more and more about God. The more we read it, the more we understand it, the more we become like him, the more we are molded into his image. And it'll happen without you even knowing it. But if your desire is just to know God more, God changes you. And a question I have this morning is, how much do we know about the Bible? I remember a few years ago, we were at a class at the LEMC church. It was during the time that they were having the Berean schools. And there was a question that was asked. And I've picked three very simple stories that I know that we are all familiar with that we can relate to. The question was asked, um, 
in the garden uh, where, where the devil first, uh, uh, you know, uh, misled Adam and Eve there, what type of fruit is described there in the Bible? Does it say? Do we know what it is? We automatically assume it's an apple, right? But there is no evidence of that, that it's an apple. It, it's just described as a fruit. And more than likely, it was a fig, if anything. But it is not described what it is. So there is another thing that we just, and this is like just a lighthearted, light version of this. There's many more deeper things we could, go, we could talk about. And another one that comes to mind, he asked, is that when we think about the, the birth of Jesus Christ, whenever we see a story or a postcard with a nativity story on it, or where Jesus is at in the, in the manger, there's always a picture of the three wise men there. And did you know that the wise men were not there? That they only showed up some two years after the birth of Christ? I didn't know that at the time because I'm, I'm seeing the postcards and we're, seeing, we're, we're reading the stories about the, the birth of Christ and then there is always the three wise men that come bringing gifts, which they did, but not till many years later. And the third one that I want to bring up as an example is that Jonah and the whale. It doesn't describe, other than if you watch VeggieTales, I think VeggieTales describes it as a whale, but other than that, it's, it doesn't describe it as a whale, it just describes it as a great fish. And these are just some, these are three simple things, three very lighthearted things that I guess we could misinterpret. Uh, did you know these things? Did you know that it wasn't an apple? Did you know that the wise men were not there at the birth of Christ? Did you know that the, whale, the great fish that swallowed Jonah wasn't a whale? These are just some small things. So what do we do with the bigger things? And I want us to evaluate this. You know, when we think about our opportunity to witness to the world, to the people around us, how familiar are you with abortion? If someone, an unbeliever was to ask you, where do you stand? Why do you believe what you believe? What would you say? Would we be able to describe what life, when life is prescribed or when life is conceived. We believe, as Christians, we believe that birth starts at conception. And the world has a different understanding where uh, at some point there, the baby is seen inside, as a, in the womb, up until its birth is just seen as a blob, so to speak, if that's not, not a technical term, but it's not seen as a living human being until it's born. But we know different. Are we able to communicate that? And the whole topic of divorce and remarriage is another topic that's really coming to the forefront. How are we dealing with this? How are we able to explain this? And the, uh, during the time of COVID, you know, how far do we go in obeying the government? At what time in life do we just say, okay, you know what? We're going to obey God rather than government. Are we wrestling with this? Where do you come down on this? What does God's word say about this? And if asked, what would you say? And that's uh, one area. What about the whole homosexual area, area, uh, era that's coming? The transgender movement, all the stuff that's happening with that. How are you able to describe that? How are you able to point people when asked? If they're asking you, what do you think? How would, well, what is your opinion on this? What would you say? These are opportunities that we are, that we are going to be given and we are going to be given a, a chance to explain and why we believe what we believe. But I want to take this even closer to home. You know, I, I know this is about us being as an, a distinctive discipleship as individuals. Where do we stand with these thoughts or with these, uh, these uh, passages in the Bible? 
What are you struggling with? How many of you here believe to this day that God has never forgiven your sins? How many of you have said to yourself or have heard somebody say, if you only knew how bad I was, or how bad I was, you would know that God can never forgive my sins. What does God's word say about that? Maybe this is something that you're struggling with. Or another one, this was a struggle for me for many years, that you are saved by grace and not by your works. How can a God come from heaven, be nailed on the cross, died for my sins, and how can I not, how, how do I have no part in this other than accepting him as Lord and Savior? For years, I always said, when, when we went through a, a series by Kent Hovind one time, it talked about you know, being busy for Christ. And he had said, somebody asked him one time, why are you so busy uh, like living for Christ? Why are you so busy working for Christ? He says, I wanted to burn both ends of the candle. I wanted to go to heaven tired. And his, as a result of that was, is he wanted to, uh, uh, to work. He knew his salvation was by Christ alone, but he wanted to be busy for Christ as out of a response to the grace that he was given. He wanted to go to heaven tired. He wanted to work for Christ. But we can't earn our salvation through works. It is only by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So do we understand, is this something that we're wrestling with? Is this something that we have a hard time coming to grips with? What does God's word say about that? All who call on his name and accept him as Lord and Savior will be with him for heaven. And all of the, and who do that, those, their sins will be forgiven. Whoever confesses their sin, their sin will be forgiven. That's it. There is no works that's required. Although out of, out of the, the price that Christ paid for us on that cross, I believe it propels us to live for Christ and to work and to carry on the mission of making disciples. Another comment that I would like to make here is that when we oftentimes on how we understand God's word, we sometimes have the wrong approach, the wrong motive when we go at it. And I know I've been through some of these, I've talked to people, and is do you read the Bible and interpret it into what you want it to say? Have you ever had something that you were stuck on, that you wanted, that you wanted justified, and you took a verse out of context? And you, uh, you grab verses, which you can find verses, but you're taking them out of context. But have you, have you ever taken something out of context and tried to justify it or to tell people or to explain why you're doing what you're doing based on what a verse is saying? That happens as well. But we have to be very careful. We have to be not in, you, you can't go reading God's word and looking into it and what you want it to say. You have to be open to what God is saying in that verse in the context. It can't be, you can't take it out of context. You have to seek God's will and what he is saying about that verse. It's very important because if you want to find a way to justify something, you'll find it in the Bible if, you're if, you, so, if you so desire. So it's important to come at the word when we read it. God, what are you saying? What are you saying? What does this mean? And you know what? If you haven't yet already, uh, you know, as you're, um, for all of you guys here that are fathers and mothers and have children, how many of you have been asked some very tough questions where you really had to hum and haw as to where do I come down with this? How do I respond? 
And there's some tough questions out there. How will you respond when your kid asks you about homosexuality? When your kid asks you about creation, is, is creation really true? Is the Big Bang Theory, is, is that true? How will you respond? It's important that we dive into the Word, that we, we seek what God's Word says about where and what that verse or verses mean and what he says or what he is saying about a topic. It's important that we know our scriptures. There's a comment here. If the church is ignorant with the scriptures, why are we surprised that our culture is intolerant? I'll read that one more time. If the church is ignorant with the scriptures, why are we surprised that our, church, that our culture is intolerant? If an unbeliever is asking you why you believe what you believe, if you can't answer that question, and there may be some questions that may be really hard that are not black and white, but there are some that are black and white, are a lot more clear, are you and will you be able to answer that question? Because if we don't understand it, why do we expect the world to understand it? Remember that whole topic about working hard to present God's truth? We need to be prepared for that as well. And you know, when we read about, uh, we understand that all of this takes work. I mean, to read God's word is something that we have to discipline ourselves in doing so. It's not something that comes naturally. So three things will happen. One of three things will happen here as we, in this message, or as we take this home with us. We will do one of three things, okay? We will ignore it. We're too busy to read God's word. We will justify it. We will find whatever excuse there is of why we don't spend time with God's word, or we will do it. Those are the three things. That's, that's, where, that's, that's what it narrows down to. What will you do with it? What will you, what will you do with, with, with this opportunity that is given to you? You can either ignore it, justify it, or address it. <clears throat> if you're waiting to lean up against somebody who has, is, who has maybe... Um, you know, dove through the scriptures, has maybe come to some conclusions, uh, who has maybe come to some answers. If you're hoping to sit next to someone like that and that just be transferred over to you, it's not going to happen. You have to do the work. You have to find out what, what the scripture says. You have to dive in. You have to call on God. You have to do the work in order to get to that resolution. <clears throat> and like I said, some of these topics, they may take years we're on years before you come down on something that's solid or something that's, uh, that, that you feel comfortable with. But never ever dismissing what God is saying. We can't interpret this our own, in our own understanding, but it has to be through the Spirit. And God has given us the Spirit to help us to interpret these words. Very important. So what will you do with that word? <clears throat> And, you know, the whole topic here about this whole um, being, you know, the whole the, the topic of doctrine is that we need to target those areas. I'm not talking about taking the whole book and, okay, now i got to learn the whole book. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But take an area of the Bible that you are uncertain with, that you are not sure about, and target that study. Focus on that. Spend time in prayer. Spend time with other believers and, and, and discussing those, those verses there. But don't just put it back on the shelf. Do something with it. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. 
It says this. About this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For, the, for, the, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need to be someone, you need to be, sorry, let me start that again. Uh, for, the, for, the, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore let, us not, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of God and go on to maturity, not laying again of the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, and of the instruction about washing and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we do with and this we do, this and this we will do if God permits. So again, we're not talking about at some point we have to get past the uh, like when we came to Christ, great, it's a great experience, right? And it should be cherished, it should be remembered. But that's the starting point. From there, we continue to grow. We have to continue to grow and to, to stop drinking milk and, and start eating meat, to grow in, in life's harder things. Now that we've mastered, that we understood what salvation is, what's the next thing we need to learn? What's the next thing that we need to sharpen? What's the next tool we need to put in our toolbox? You know, I, th- I thought about giving this illustration, and I know that Travis does this in his message about the biblical doctrine. When we see ourselves, like, I, I don't know how many years you guys have all been Christians. For me, it's been a, a quite a long time now. But when God sees us, where does God see you at as your, your spiritual maturity? Where would you be at on the spiritual maturity gauge, if, I had to, if, if we could see that? You know, if I was up here, and I, I have water up here, and if I had a baby bottle up here, and if I was drinking from that baby bottle, and I didn't say nothing, what would your response be? If I was even better yet, what if I was sitting in a restaurant somewhere with all of my adult friends, and they see, and you guys saw me sitting at the table there, and I'm drinking out of a baby bottle, I'm drinking milk, with the nipple and everything on it. What would your response be to me? What would you think of me? It would be pretty funny, wouldn't it? This is exactly what these verses are talking about here. We need to get past the baby bottle stage. We need to start eating meat. And when we eat, like this whole thing of training, this is not something that just happens overnight. This is a growing process. And I'm not not talking about like somebody who is like, let's say I'm I'm 51 years old. You know, if you're a new believer in Christ and like you just became a believer now, this truth here about the, the saving message is great. That's your starting point. But I'm talking about for all of us that have been Christians for many years, Let's not still be at the stage where we're drinking milk. Let's continue to grow and and learn and start eating meat because we are again called to teach others. It's not about us. It's about us, you know, giving these words of life and speaking words of life to other people that God places in our path. The work is not done. It's just beginning. And, and, and Hebrews here talks about constant training uh, in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Constant means always practicing. 
It's not once in a while. It's that we're always putting this into practice. And as we practice, we will get better, you know. So let's not, let's not be satisfied with milk. Let's reach and let's, let's mature and start eating meat and, and, and tackling the harder things that we need to tackle. So what is it that, what is it where, like as doing a self-inventory check, where are you at this morning? What is it that you need to do next? What area of the Bible or what area should, I, should you tackle? Maybe that's what you're asking. What do you do? Pick one area where maybe, you have, maybe it's a book that you've dismissed. You don't want to hear about it. You don't, want to, you don't know how to interpret it. Pick something. Do something. Take something and, and dive into it. You know, seek God's will in this. Pray about this and ask the Spirit to reveal truth to you. And when we do that... God will open up our eyes and we will have a better understanding. We will start to see a bigger, wider picture than what we're used to seeing. But it takes discipline and it takes us to carve out time in our busy schedule. It takes us to put away some of the other habits that we've created that are not good for us and create new habits. But it's something that you have the power to do. And again, being careful how we interpret scripture. You know, every heresy, every false teaching has, has, has been taken out of the scripture, but not in its right context. You ever think about that? A lot of these false teachings that are out there, it's taken from a biblical verse, but it's taken out of context. It is so important that we learn to interpret God's word and apply it in its proper context. It's true meaning, because if it's not in its true meaning, it's false. There's only one. It's what God has intended that verse to mean or that passage to mean. We can't take it out of context. And we only learn that if we are in, like, you know, spending time in God's word and asking the spirit to reveal it to us. This is, you know, what we're called to do. Again, to take a, a topic that's not, that you're not familiar with, maybe a book that you're not familiar with, and just really dive into that. Discipline yourself and watch yourself uh, or just even watch your, your, uh, how your response be will to that teaching. Once you dive into it, how that will change you. You will start to get hungry for that word. It'll, it'll become something that you'll become more easily adapted to do. It won't be hard anymore. I'm, I'm not saying that it will never be hard. And there will be times when it will be hard or harder to do. But the more we do it, the more that becomes our habit, the easier it becomes. The more we study this book the more we will learn to live right. When we read God's word, when we read about the characteristic of who God is, number one, number one, like I said, who he is, what he has done for us, and we read the gospel messages, even the Old Testament, of how God desires a relationship with his people. The grace that he has shown, the mercy that he has shown, the more we spend time in this book, the more it will change us, the more it will turn us or, or create, it will, it will turn us more into or like him. It will change the way you, our, our fingerprints, so to speak. It will change that of who we are. God can transform us. The word can transform us. And again, we, we don't want to forget about how we are to re- remain busy and we are to be uh, always looking 
for an opportunity or a, uh, even create an opportunity to witness to people about the living water, the living, the life that is in us and why we are who we are, why we believe what we, why we believe what we believe and why it is that, um, that it's Christ in us. And that is our duty as we, as we are now still here, that we're to keep, you know, busy at that. You know, one of the stories that I always like and I, I really, I'm really fond of is the story in the, found in the Gospel of John where Jesus is at, they're in Galilee, or they're in uh, Judah, and they're going back to Galilee. And as they're going back to Galilee, they, it says that they have to go through Samaria. <clears throat> and it's there when they get through, where they're walking through Samaria, that Jesus is found at a well, and the, the disciples go to town to buy food. But it's there that this Samaritan woman comes out, and she's at the well. She's there to draw water. She's there because it's the time of the day where there's nobody else around except for her and some of the other women that are there as well. But this one, in this story, it's just Jesus and this Samaritan woman. <clears throat> and Jesus has this conversation with this woman. And it says there that uh, Jesus asked this woman for a, a drink of water. And this woman is so surprised that a Jewish man would be consulting or talking with a Samaritan woman because the Jews did not like the Samaritans. But here Jesus, talking to this woman, asks her for a drink. And then Jesus takes it one step further. He goes, you know, if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water, then you will never be thirsty again. And he sparks her interest by this living water, meaning him. This living water is Christ. We read the story and we see how this affects this lady that to the point where she runs back into town and she tells the people, come see this man who has told me all that I have done. And as a result of that, the town come out and they see Jesus there. And then they say, it's not only by what you have said, now we have heard ourselves what Jesus has done or who Jesus is, this living water. Jesus sought this lady out. This was not an accident because when we read that, it says that Jesus had to go, to, had to go through Samaria. But he, with purpose, with purpose, had this encounter with this lady. And it says here that, that, that he wants to give her this living water. And it goes right back to the John chapter 7 that I read in the very beginning as I started this message that anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. Do we think of ourselves as someone who can give living water? When we live and we seek the scriptures and we live out as closely to Christ as we can, and we're not perfect, but if we seek to live and follow in the footsteps of Christ and we are there when someone asks us, why do you believe what you believe? Or whatever that conversation may be, that we then speak this living water to them. And the living water meaning Christ in us with the Spirit, with the Spirit's aid. We don't do this by ourselves, but the Spirit helps us. It can change lives. It can open up eyes to people who are not able to understand and see the truth. That is the work that we are called to do. Not favoring people, but worry about favoring God. That we are to be honest and speak truth, never, ever, you know, uh, never, white, never um, watering it down. 
sometimes speaking truth can be hard, can be harsh. But we're not doing anyone any favors by misrepresenting Christ. But in order for us to be able to speak uh, you know, words of living water, ones that will make someone thirsty, we need to first spend time in the word. Where do you stand this morning? How much of a priority is God's word to you? If we're waiting, if you're waiting for, if you're only, if your only encounter with God's word is on a Sunday morning from whoever is preaching, then you have a lot of work to do. Let's not neglect the time that we have here. Let's not forsake that time. <clears throat> Christ is coming back and we're going to be held an account of what we've done with what he has given to us. Have you ever seen someone's eyes open up when the truth is spoken to them? When they get it? Isn't that worth it? We have a lot of work left to do. We have, been, we have been given a huge task in order for us to be prepared we must spend time with God God is the one who is molding and making us and, and is changing us from the inside out and when we become more like him what comes in will come out through our words and through our actions let's pray Father God Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and with a thankful heart. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We learn and we read about the love that you have for us, the price that you paid on that cross for us. Lord, we read about the plans that you have for us, the tasks that you have given us to do. And Lord, all along the way, it's never given to us as to go at it alone. Matthew 28, when you're taken up into heaven, you proclaim, go out and make disciples into all nations, and I will always be with you. You've never left us to do this on our own. You've always given us the Spirit's help. Lord, I pray this morning that we will do an inventory on our life. Where are we? on the spiritual maturity graph chart. Where are we at? Are we still drinking milk? I pray, Lord God, that we will continue to dive deep into your word, that we will not stop asking and praying until we understand. And I pray, Lord God, that we will surrender our heart to allow it to be changed, that we will not hold on to something false or an unbelief or something that is not helping us to grow more into maturity, to more into, into a mature faith. I pray this morning that we will fully trust what your word is saying to us. I pray that we will surrender to it. And Lord, again, all along we know that you are with us. Every step of the way, the Holy Spirit keeps in step with us, Lord, step by step. He's not behind. He's not in front. He's right beside us all along. Lord, we trust you. We love you. 
And Lord, I pray this morning also that if we have neglected your word, I pray this morning that you will forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for that, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that you will give us a hunger for your word. One that is unquenchable, unquenchable unless we are in your word, devouring it. I pray, Lord God, that we will, we will, that we will be found favorable on the day when we stand before you. That we have taken what you've given to us, that what you've entrusted with us or entrusted to us, that we have done our best to proclaim that to the people that you've placed in our path. Give us eyes and ears to hear the way you see people, not the way we see them. And Lord, we thank you for what you will do. We thank you for your grace and your love for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.